Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Now Mind You podcast. It is Sunday, May 8th, 2022. Happy Mother's Day, because it is Mother's Day at the time of this recording. Uh, Welcome to the combat episode, right? Combat episode, episode 18. Uh, Today, right, we got quite the docket for you. Now, of course, Matt will be covering uh, Canelo versus Bivol. Right. But mm-hmm. then in terms of the UFC, we had a pay-per-view last night, UFC 274, Oliveira versus Gaethje. Right. Um, in that card, we had at least in terms of the main event. Okay, right. Because we didn't really or at least I didn't really watch the prelims, but we had Randy Brown versus Chaos Williams, which was uh, I believe it was a bump up. Right. Because unfortunately, yeah, uh, they were Lozon, the main event of uh, the prelims. Right. Lozon versus Cerrone had to be canceled. Uh we then got Mauricio Shogun Hua versus OSP Ovin St. Pru. We also got mm-hmm. Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. And we got Charles, uh, <clears throat> sorry, well, I might as well have skipped that one. That's neither here nor there. Right. We had Rose Nama Yunus versus Carla Esparza. And then we got Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gage. Uh, without further ado, I will let Matt take it away with Canelo versus Bivol. Oh man, where the f- where do I start? Wherever you where want do to play, start? boy. Wherever you want to. So we got Canelo, who is the face of boxing. Let's just call it basically. What it is. Um, right now he's face of boxing. Uh, he's pound for pound king of boxing. This is a guy who was pretty much trying to turn into Takamura. Um, this was a dude who was just climbing weight classes and stacking championships on his way up and, you know, really was just looking to do some things that no one has done before in history. And he's made history a handful of times. Um, and he was looking to do that, you know, looking to continue to do that. I mean, again, let's, if we're just giving him his flowers, right. Canelo turned pro at age 14 in Mexico. He's a professional boxer. When Canelo was 14, he was fighting grown men. Adults as a pro fighter and winning. Um, so to say, to say phenom or prodigy might be a, an understatement, I'm guessing. Yeah, it would be insane to say something like that. Post, 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 post. Give me one second. I just okay. need to check on something. Okay. Post, 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 post. Post. Post, 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 post. This is all in post. When Matt gets back, we might have to retake Canelo. Canelo's background, post, 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 post. Yeah. Um, So we had Canelo pretty much has been beating up these kids, and then he has to fight Dimitri Bivol. Now, Dimitri Bivol on the other side, literally the exact same age. Um, He's been tearing things up on his own as well. Hmm. Um, This is a guy that's from Kyrgyzstan. I'm sorry, not Kazakhstan. He's from Kyrgyzstan. Mm-hmm. And uh, coming into this fight, nineteen and zero, um, with eleven stoppages, 
And he's pretty much been a light heavyweight most of his career. For those of you that are outside of the know, light heavyweight in boxing versus MMA are two way different weight classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, for boxing, light heavyweight is 175 pounds. So this guy is pretty much considered by a lot of people and in a lot of circles, he's kind of considered the number one light heavyweight in the world. Mm. Um, he's, you know, six feet even, 72 inch reach. Um, and he's won, you know, numerous, uh, numerous amateur boxing competitions throughout Europe. And he's won, I think, two or three uh, world combat games type of situations and things of that nature. Just to give you a little background on him, because for most fans, Bivol isn't really a, he's not nearly as big of the name as Canelo. Right. Right. Um, he's been, you know, he's been kind of blown up to be a, a relatively uh, decent star, especially for the zone. Um, but this dude has been wearing gold around his waist professionally since 2015, mm. um, winning silver titles, interim titles, main titles, and all of that. And um, it wasn't actually until 2017 he was able to secure the WBA uh, light heavyweight title. Mm-hmm. And that's what he has now. Uh, I've, I've been able to see him in person once uh back he fought at the wind trust arena back in like 2019 mm-hmm. uh one of my teammates two of my teammates actually fought on that card and i got a chance to to check that out and i, I can tell you just as a person who's watched him in person like it's real you mm-hmm. know um the hype is real so again going back just to our competitors we had canelo versus dimitri bivol so this was canelo attempting to win another world title and he was attempting to win a world title at 175. Now, he's currently the unified middleweight champion of the world. He's the only person in history to have unified the middleweight belts. So he did make history in that regard. During mm-hmm. like the four belt era, he's the only person to have done that. He And he went and beat all of the champions at middleweight to pick up all of those belts. Mm-hmm. Um, he has been champion at light middleweight, before that, he's been champion at welterweight and so on and so forth. If he was in that weight class, he won the belt there. Mm-hmm. That's just what it is. So coming into this fight, he was looking to pick up one of the light heavyweight straps and possibly try to unify 175 and then eventually move on to his next weight class, which would have been cruiserweight or jumping all of that and going to heavyweight. Mm-hmm. And... Dimitri Bivol had other plans. And if you are, uh, if you're new to the show, uh, we spoil things here. And Dimitri <laughs> Bivol beat Canelo Alvarez last night and handed him his second professional loss. Um, Canelo Alvarez has not lost a fight since 2013. And the person that beat him back in 2013 was Floyd Mayweather. Now, some people argue Triple G beat him back in 2017, but you can argue with your grandma. You know, the only person that, the only people that need to make the decision are the three judges outside the ring, and they decided that that was a draw. Mm -hmm. And he went on to defeat that same guy and pretty much has continued his run pretty much from 2013. He's been undefeated since 2013. We'll just Mm -hmm. leave it at that. And this is a guy that fights two to three times a year. So last night he had a 12 round contest with Dimitri Bivol for the WBA super light heavyweight title. 
and he lost a 12 round decision kind of I don't want to say it was a landslide but it was almost it almost felt unreal to watch if you've seen his other performances however at the same time at least for me breaking it down I felt like this was this outcome was likely not Mm -hmm. super likely like oh this could happen but it was like of the ways he could lose this fight, this one was pretty high up there for me, which was him losing on points. Mm-hmm. And uh, the scorecards read 115, 113 across the board from everybody. Um, in this fight, Canelo hit a career low. He had a career low on his connections of only 84 punches. Mm-hmm. He Now, I need just to quantify that for people. That was over the course of 12 three-minute rounds. So in the time frame of 12 three-minute rounds, he only landed 84 punches. And that is, again, like I said, a career low uh, for Canelo Alvarez. Overall, he was outstruck uh, 152 to 84 over the course of those 12 rounds. Um, I think for me personally, what I thought was happening. I'm, I'm just going to do more of a review. I'm not going to necessarily do a round by round thing just because of mm-hmm. how the fight played out. I'd kind of be repeating myself, but I felt like a lot of different storylines are coming out now. Like, you know, Canelo had was on a vegan diet and all of that. And, and I like that he didn't use that as an excuse. You know, he just simply said in fighting, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. That's it. Rematch? Yeah, of course he wants to get a rematch, but, you know, that's just what it is. And I think especially when you're a guy like Canelo, who I just realized I didn't touch on his fight experience. This was his 61st fight. And according to him, he has about 10 more fights that weren't, I guess, that didn't count just because they were like in Mexico. And there's always like kind of a little funny stuff about what things count on official records and what what things don't. Mm -hmm. Um, this was his 61st professional fight. And that was only Dimitri Bivol's 20th. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and there's a lot of different experience and things like that. And I feel like two things really were were the things. One, it was, it was his ambition, I think, really just kind of came to roost. And, you know, because you can only keep skipping weight classes and beating champions and skipping weight classes and beating champions. You can only do that so many times. You know what I'm saying? You can only go to that well so many times. And I think more than anything else to me, it just seemed like he was finally overmatched. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's weird almost to say that because it's always, it's almost always the opposite way. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, he's only had one other contest at light heavyweight, and that was back in 2019. He fought uh, Sergey Kovalev, and he stopped him. Um, and that was, excuse me, that was for uh, the WBO light heavyweight title, which he went on to relinquish, um, and he went back to middleweight and picked up the rest of those belts. Um, and the way that he kind of went about that, right, was he was he bided his time, kind of boxed a little bit, and eventually was able to get the knockout. And that, to a degree, is kind of the story of his fights. And Dimitri Bivol didn't allow him to do that. Dimitri Bivol was very active with his jab. He was very active with combinations. And in a lot of situations, what we were seeing was Bivol was answering one with a combo. Mm-hmm. And Canelo was really just doing one big shot at a time or two at a time and things like that. And it just seemed like he was, he was just getting outgunned. And I mean, the numbers would tell you the same story. 
as well as the fact that, you know, he lost. But what you were seeing, what I felt, especially on the later ends of the rounds, was frustration. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it felt like he couldn't get through and that for stretches of time, Canelo was just being forced to be defensive. Mm-hmm. And though he is, I would classify him as a defensive fighter. He wasn't being defensive in a way of like defend and counter like he typically does. He wasn't even getting being given opportunities to counter in some of those situations um, for the most part. And then on the back end of the fight, I'd say pretty much about like rounds eight to the end, you could just very visibly see that Canelo was tired. Hmm. Um, and not, you know, he definitely wasn't in a in a way where he couldn't fight or like he was just completely gassed, but it was definitely more defensive, more on his toes, definitely was moving away and wasn't being as active as we know him to be. And then even in instances where there were times Dimitri Bivol would stand directly in front of him. Like they were glove to glove, almost head to head. And he just couldn't get a clean shot. It was hard for him to break through that defense. Um, and I think he had a really hard time dealing with Dimitri Bivol's jab. And that's kind of Dimitri Bivol's main weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, he has an excellent jab. And it's not just excellent in the sense of uh, how he throws it, but it's an excellent jab to me in its application because he uses it to start combinations. Um, he uses it for defense. He uses it to cut an angle. He uses it, you know, to exit, to get off the ropes. He uses it all the time. And I think there were a lot of opportunities, at least for me watching, where I thought Canelo could have thrown a few more punches or thrown one extra punch. He didn't. And that's not really a thing I'm blaming him for or anything like that. I mean, look, if the formula has been working, what would tell you to change it? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, going back to his his last light heavyweight contest, right? When he fought Sergey Kovalev, Canelo was losing that fight. He was losing on every scorecard, but it was just, if you were watching that fight, though he was losing on the scorecard, we all knew what was going to happen. We knew what was coming just based off how it was going, but he was being outstruck, was being outpunched, but the guy he was fighting, he was wearing him down. And eventually he was able to get the KO. Um, you know, because the dude was tired and that just wasn't the case here. Um, it's interesting, right? Because there are a lot of guys at 175 that are relatively tough and he fought one of the the better people. Again, this is the guy that's considered the number one uh, fighter at 175. He's considered mm-hmm. the number one light heavyweight in the world um, by a lot of people. And I think more than anything else, I really just kind of commend Canelo for even trying to take on that challenge. And, you know, for wanting to just throw that challenge at himself. No one asked him for that fight. Dimitri Bivol didn't call Canelo out. He didn't right. ask for that fight. Canelo asked for it. Right. You know, this wasn't something anybody put a gun in his head and made him do. It's what he wanted. You know, his it was his ambition. And it's, you know, Canelo's still young considering that. You know, this is a guy 60 fights in. He's 31. Mm-hmm. You know, he still has a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if he wants to, you know, if he still wants to do all these things. And again, he said he wants to get the rematch. So I hope he does get it. Um, I just felt like overall, it was a production difference between the two of them. Very few jabs were thrown by Canelo. And most of his power shots and the shots that he was trying to land 
They just weren't getting through. He he was finding a home for the uppercut. I will say that um, he threw a really good like double jab that would lead into an uppercut, especially if he could get Bivol trapped on the ropes, which was uh, far and few in between. But if he could get his back on the ropes, he would you know throw that uppercut up there. And there was a few times just generally when they were uh, fighting on the, fighting on the inside, he was able to get some of those uppercuts off. And he would follow sometimes, sometimes with a hook. And typically that would be the end of it because in most of those instances, he'd land the uppercut and the hook would get blocked. Mm-hmm. Or he'd, you know, or he'd block the hook, block the uppercut and only partially land the hook. Mm-hmm. And sometimes both things would be blocked, you know, and he would just use that as an opportunity to get out of there. And then if there was ever a lull uh, in the action, Dimitri Bivol just throw that jab in there just to keep things going. So um, they're talking about a rematch. This definitely throws a monkey wrench in some of the other plans that I know were were set up for uh, Canelo Alvarez. One of which being that that uh, trilogy fight with Triple G in September. But you know, ultimately, we'll see what we'll see what happens. Uh, with that. I thought it was a good fight. Obviously, both guys were able to go home, you know, with their faculties and things like that about them. Um, you know, Dimitri Bivol's arm was super bruised up, at, you know, just from taking so many shots on the arm from blocking and things like that. And, you know, Canelo had a little bit of damage to his face, nothing crazy. So I'll be interested to see what happens uh, if and when they run this fight back and, you know, what the context is, because there's some word that Maybe Bivol will go down and wait to 168. Maybe they do it again at 75. Who knows? You know, combat sports in general uh, are the th- is the theater uh, the theater of the unexpected. So, you know, all I can say is we'll see. Um, and I look forward to seeing what happens next with both of these guys. Realistically, because um, I think it's I think it's a really exciting time for boxing, and I think this is an exciting time to be a boxing fan. And these are two guys that are, you know, realistically partially the reason why it's like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But that's pretty much it as far as the boxing from last night. But let's jump into this UFC card. And last night we had UFC 274, uh, which was headlined by Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje. And they were having that in Phoenix, Arizona. Now, before we go any further, let's not forget to congratulate Daniel D.C. Cormier for making it to the Hall of Fame. Man, and I thought it was dope how they did that on the broadcast where he didn't yeah. know that he yeah. was being inducted. Because yeah. when Genuine I was reactions. watching it, I was like, man, I wonder if they if he knew he was about to get in. And he clearly didn't. No, it was beautiful. Um, yeah, man, I thought it was dope. He and if there's a guy that deserves that Hall of Fame spot, it's definitely DC. One hundred percent real. One hundred percent. But yeah, man. So yeah, let's let's get into it. Um, I'll just just to give a little background. Our opening fight uh, was Randy Brown versus Kalen Chaos Williams. Um, just to give you a little background on these two guys, two relatively you know younger guys on as far as. Uh, age and stuff is concerned for combat sports. You know, we got Randy Brown on one end, 31, and we got Chaos Williams on the other end, 28. Man, yeah, it's such, it's such a wild nickname to have picked, but, it, you know, if you see the guy fight, you know it's legit. Yeah. And um, 
Yeah, man, they they their fight was bumped up because the they were originally the main event of the prelims, but Donald Cerrone versus uh, Joe Lozon ended up getting canceled because there was an illness, a non-COVID illness that they made Correct. sure to point out. Um, but there was an illness that was stopping that fight. So this one got bumped up. On one side, we got Randy Brown, 31 years old, from Springfield, Massachusetts. Didn't know they had a Springfield. Um, but currently is living in New York and training with a pretty decent camp out there. Um, this was Randy's 19th fight. And, you know, he was coming off back-to-back wins. Uh, the last loss he took was back in 2020, uh, where he took a knee from Vicente Luque. And even if you see any of his losses, these are all guys that there's zero shame in losing to. Um, especially if you know how he lost. Like, he has a decision loss against Bilal Muhammad. Yeah, join the club. Mm. Um, he, TK, he has a KO loss to Nico Price, who is one of the most... But I would only imagine he that guy's like a nightmare to have to train for just because of how unorthodox of a fighter he is. And then, again, he got a stoppage to Vicente Luque, who is a guy who sits amongst the tops, you know, amongst the top of the division. Right. He's coming off two back-to-back wins. He has a rear naked choke victory over uh, Cowboy Oliveira. Yeah. And he pulled off a decision against Jared Gooden mm-hmm. uh, last year. And then on the other side, we got Kalen Chaos Williams, who has really kind of made a splash since he got into the UFC. Um, right away, just violent, coming in violent. He finished his first two fights in less than a minute. Two KOs, first KO in the UFC, 27 seconds. His second one was 30 seconds. Um, took a decision loss against uh, Michael Pereira, Pajera, I'm, I apologize, um, la, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Man, that's crazy that that fight was two years ago. I felt like that fight was yesterday, and or at least like a few months ago. I didn't feel like that was that far back. And then, um, and then he's coming off actually two back-to-back wins last year in June and in November. Mm-hmm. So these are two guys that were just really looking to come up, uh, looking to make a come up, looking to move up the the welterweight rankings and so on and so forth. TJ, go ahead. Why don't you tell us about the fight? Well, spoiler alert, Randy Brown got the decision win. Um, split decision, I might add, too. Uh, but essentially, how to go down round by round. Uh, well, I'll just say like this. Round one definitely went to Chaos Williams because at the start of the round, you could say Williams basically had the aggression and the octagon control. Um, but one thing you notice immediately is like Randy Brown is super lanky. This man is my height. He is 6'3 and maybe some change and cuts down to 170. When I saw that Randy Brown was 6'3, I was like, how does he do that? Anytime I get close to like, two under 220 pounds i feel like i'm gonna die uh and this is speaking as someone who's had to cut weight for competitions before so it's like cutting down to any below 220 like bro i got up from a kneeling position too fast and i thought this is it uh and this man cuts down to like 170 right but anyway um yeah brown is super lanky but williams was throwing everything and the kitchen sink right like every strike he threw he's like i want to hurt this man Right. Mm -hmm. But even then, like it looks like Brown was kind of not in his groove yet, but he was getting some moments here and there. Right. He was getting like 
some nice little uh, punches off of the clinch. Um, but Williams did almost catch him in the guillotine off of the fence. Uh, it was well, not, no, it wasn't off a takedown. What basically what happened is Williams dropped Brown, right? And while Brown was basically like kind of scrambling, getting into some type of guard, and it, it's, it needs to be said too that, you know, Randy Brown also has a jujitsu background, um, but he's also like, you know, boxing, MMA, et cetera, but he's got a brown belt in jujitsu. Um, but Williams decides to go for that headlock and get a guillotine. But uh, Brown definitely got tagged. He pulled guard. Williams was honestly kind of technical in this fight. But Brown, like, has some very good head movement. And you see a preview of it in the first round. Like, he's still not fully warmed up, but you see a preview of it, right? Um, the one thing I will say is, like, I don't like the way Randy Brown shoots for takedowns. And I say this as a tall person because oh my, my wrestling coach, like, gets on me for this. But it's like, you can't shoot a takedown with your head low and your butt is higher than your head. You're just asking, especially in an MMA context, dude, you're asking to get knocked out. Um, but he pulls it all, you know, it's what it is, man. Um, but yeah, we see like uh, Randy Brown then kind of attempts like a jump guard guillotine at right at the buzzer round one, but that's round one. Round two and round three, different story. Uh, Randy Brown is completely warmed up and he's in his group. Like the Randy Brown in round one, you don't see that. Randy, Randy Brown, Brown in two is a whole in, different guy. In round two. Like, it, like I'm talking like master class in how you should fight as a tall, lanky person. Distance management, catching your opponent at the end of your strikes. It was like a complete oh game. Like my boy was like throwing strikes and then chaos would try to catch him. But Randy Brown was either ducking or already gone. It was mm-hmm. epitome stick and move. Um, For real. Like he was letting those hands go. Heaven was crazy. Good use of his jabs. And he's a stance switcher too. So it wasn't just jabbing you like orthodox. He was coming at you with, um, with the southpaw jabs as well. Like mm-hmm. there was a. Big, big momentum shift. But the one thing that worried me is like, and I, I don't know if Chaos was thinking about this because it's hard, man, when the adrenaline's pumping. But I was like, Randy Brown was ducking so much. I was like, if he just times it, he could make Randy Brown catch a knee. Or if he just gets like a head kick going, like as soon as he's coming out of the duck, it could have been in trouble. I, it could have been trouble for Brown, but we didn't mm-hmm. see that. It's what it is. It's what it is. Another thing Brown does really well, dude, he was checking those low kicks. Now, there are a few different styles when it comes to, like, you know, protecting yourself against a Muay Thai roundhouse. But if especially if it's going to the legs, you can shield, you can roll with it, but you can also do what Randy Brown did. And it was kind of subtle, but essentially it's like kind of bending your leg and kind of shifting into the oncoming kick. Basically, you're still getting hit, but you're taking up like quite a bit of the sting, right? Where is a strike the strongest? Right at the end of its range. He mm-hmm. kind of subverts that by bending his knee and kind of like, Kind of like checking it. Well, no, kind not kind of checking. He's checking it like right before it can get to like where it's critical. Um, but he was doing that a lot. It was like, like you said, completely different fighter. Uh, round three, bro. This was a round where I was like, all right, well, people are gonna have to put some respect on Chaos Williams' jaw. Uh, let's just, let's just let's just call for what it is, because big front kick to the, like Chaos Williams was throwing everything in the kitchen sink at Randy Brown in round one. This was Randy Brown in round three uh, to Chaos Williams. We saw front kick to the face. We saw the jab, jab, power hand. We saw the stance switches. We like Randy Brown's goal was to sit Chaos Williams on his butt. Uh, But Mm -hmm. Chaos Williams' chin is not from this planet. That's all I'm going to say. 
he got and also chaos Williams dropped him again and I, I know you noticed this but it looked like after the second time uh brown got dropped he got up and he was pissed because immediately mm-hmm. afterwards he came back with two right hands in the knee and it still didn't take out chaos Williams, man yeah because it was like to me to me that that second knockdown that one was almost like a he was more off balance than he really yeah. was like hit but he was he was pissed. No, yeah, yeah, oh, 100%. I 100% agree. I think he was he was mad as hell because yeah. it was like, damn, that's going like to count against me. Yeah, it's going to count against me. Instantly, you know, and I think that's how the guy should do anyway. He instantly yeah. responded. It's like, oh, violence. okay, bet. Yeah, like if, if I bet was a person, right? Uh, right? It honestly reminded me of uh, that famous clip of Tyrone Spong. Uh, I forget who is who is boxing, but like Tyrone gets dropped. And then he's like, all right, bet. And then drops the homie who dropped him, but the other mm-hmm. dude doesn't recover. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, uh, we see some big knees from Brown. Um, I saw, I could say that this fight was close to judge, but uh, it was a split decision win for Brown. And I think the judges made the right call at the end of the day. Um, yeah, personally. I, I, I honestly felt like, Every round after that first round, which, you know, wasn't stupid, two of them, I felt like it was all Randy Brown after round one. Yeah, especially um, if you judge, I mean, you were telling me this, right, in terms of entertainment. Um, yeah, in terms of entertainment, bro, that shit was crazy. It was yeah. actually insane to see, like, that switch happen because yeah. he was like a different fighter. The way he was standing, the way he was moving, just, you know, moving his shoulders, moving his upper body, moving his and head. And it, it, was like, it wasn't showboating. Like, you know, no, what I mean? he just like, was, it was moving just like that's just he was moving like it was honestly a master class on how you should fight if you're a tall, lanky fighter. Yeah, um, man. He just he did the stick and move very well. And he definitely put some big shit on Chaos Williams and Chaos Williams just was like, thank you, sir. Can I have another one? Right. Right. Um, definitely, you know, showcase that he's not only a, a heavy handed puncher, but he has a pretty strong chin as well. Yeah. And um, to be fair, like I, I want to say chaos was being technical, too. Like we can't we can't not say that he was being very he was no he grew man chaos has grown from being this not very technical fighter that we would see before that you know was just seemingly winging shots and that that's kind of saying a lot saying that he was winging them because that's to me I guess is not necessarily what he was doing but Mm -hmm. it definitely wasn't as technical I thought he was very technically sound. Man, I thought when Randy Brown kicked his back leg, when he threw that, that like, body kick, I thought that knee was done. Yeah, scholarship I thought that denied. knee was done. Yeah. Yo, he, his back leg, like. He's probably feeling that today. Numerous, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's one of the numerous nightmare scenarios I have about MMA is, like, I'm going to throw a kick and they're going to kick the leg that's on the ground still. Yeah. And it's going to suck. And yeah. and he threw and he threw that damn that John Jones teep to the knee. That's what he yeah. hit him with when yeah. he blocked that middle kick. No. Yeah. Bastard and was trying to get me out the game. That's <laughs> right. crazy. Yeah. No, um, I thought it was a great fight. I thought it was super entertaining. It was one of the more entertaining fights on the card honestly. considering it this got bumped up from really prelims. up and down yeah, yeah but we we knew if you know people want to know if you if you know who these two guys are i was instantly excited for that fight i literally tuned into the prelims like i jumped on early to make sure i could see that fight and then when they said it got pushed back i was like oh, okay cool yeah because i didn't want to miss that one mm-hmm. um uh, Overall, I thought it was a great fight. Um, our next fight that we had was uh, 
I'm gonna be real, real with you. We had a we had a living legend against somebody who, depending on who you're talking to, maybe could also be considered a living legend if we being mm-hmm. real. Mm-hmm. Uh, with OSP, mm-hmm. uh, we had OSP versus Shogun Rua, um, which I thought was a dope. It was a dope matchup just on paper, mm-hmm. um, and it produced what I felt was just okay as a yeah. Fight. Was, nothing bad. It was nothing crazy. It didn't hey, suck. Looking at the card as a whole, it was not the worst fight on the card. No, no, not at all. It's far and away not the worst fight on the card. They were working. It just, you know, I felt it's just what like, it is. I felt like, look, all fights aren't excited fights. Every fight isn't made equal. Right. Um, just to get some background, we got Shogun Hua, the legitimate living legend in the UFC. One of the first. Uh, light heavyweight champions. This is a guy who was a champion in Pride, was a champion in the UFC. This dude has been in the UFC since 2007. That is correct. 2007. Coming TJ. out of shoot the box. Yep. That is Coming correct. out of shoot the box. Right. Um, this guy was the light heavyweight champion back in 2010. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, just to show you how far back it is. And, you know, unfortunately, he was that that linchpin that started John Jones, it, uh, started John Jones's dominance as far right. as 205 is concerned. But it's neither here nor there. Here he was. Uh, he was getting a rematch against mm-hmm. OSP. Um, the first time that they fought, he actually TKO'd OSP mm-hmm. in the first round. They fought in Brazil. So, you know, his all his vitality was raised. So it wasn't right. really fair. Right. Um, and he was able to stop Ovens in 30 seconds the first time that they came across each other back in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ovens St. Prue on the other side of it is a Haitian American fellow. Uh, he is a brown belt at Brazilian in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, not at. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a guy who's spent some time jumping between light heavyweight and heavyweight. You know, fought John Jones before, kind of fought a who's who in both of those weight classes. And he's had a pretty mixed bag of success uh, once he got to the UFC compared to when he was in Strike Force. He was one of the guys that came over in the Strike Force merger. Um, he's been a part of UFC since 2013. And he was looking to get back into the win column after coming off two losses back to back. He was coming off really a TKO and a KO loss. And on the other side, we had Shogun, who was coming off of a TKO uh, loss and back in November. Win, right? In, uh, yeah, he was coming off of a win and a loss. Yeah. Yeah, he beat Antonio Nogueira, and then he fought Paul Craig. But he also hadn't fought in the last two years. Right. Which I think was something that I think that's a significant thing to pay attention to and a significant thing to, to mention in this scenario. Um but yeah, this was his first time fighting in like two years. And this was, you know, Ovens had just fought last summer. Right. So against uh, Tanner Bowser at heavyweight. So right. last night, these guys had a contest. And uh, TJ, you can give a little more information on it. It was a light heavyweight fight. Went three rounds. It went Ovens the distance. Pool. Yeah, it went the distance. I felt like OSP did enough to win. That's I that, don't, honestly, I, I don't even think you need my review because that's basically it. Like if you, yeah, you can he just, you can you can grab any frame from any of these rounds and it always looked the same. OSP tagging yeah. him with the front kick, right? OSP keeping mm-hmm. him at distance with the punches, 
Shogun trying to get, you know, like some steam going, get a flurry going. But it's like mm-hmm. OSP just kept him at bay. Like you said, he just played the smart game. Which yeah, is like OSP fought him how he should have fought him the first time. Yeah, basically. a dub is a dub. Which was, he should have just used the reach, used the distance. He's one of the taller guys in the division yes. against one of the shorter guys in the division. You know, because realistically, and I'm just going to call a spade a spade, you know, like um, our boy Shogun comes from a, a foregone era of light heavyweight. That is true. You know, in in Shogun's era... John Jones was considered a tall 205-er. He was an anomaly. Yeah, he was considered tall for a guy to be at 205. And now, like, everybody at 205 is over six feet tall. Everybody's 6'4". I still don't understand how they cut down to 205, but that's neither here nor there. I already told you, but I felt like saying Randy Brown, 170, dude, how the... Mm, Crazy. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something that's going to make you more upset. There's a guy that's six six in boxing that fights at one forty seven. That's not even. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. How? Mm-hmm. How? I don't care if you have the best dietitian, the best doctors. That don't make any sense to me, bro. I'm yeah, telling so... you, Matt. I cut down to like two twelve, and I thought, well, life was cool. Mm-hmm. And you tell me there's, <laughs> there's, there's like a, somebody who's 6'6", fighting in the 140s, bro? Yeah, this, this man 6'6", he fight at like 147. It's is crazy. Is he just a skeleton? I feel <laughs> no, like he's bro, just a skeleton. But he, but he is just straight up and down. Like, he's just like one of them dudes just like probably was skinny his whole life. Oh, must be nice. Just, just shot up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah must be nice. <laughs> must be nice. All right, well, whatever. Um, but yeah, there, there isn't really much to write home about as far as their fight was concerned. It was a serviceable fight. It was a good right. fight. I didn't think it was a bad fight. It just was like, it just did what it had to do. OSP kept him at distance, didn't let him do what he wanted to do. And that quite possibly might have been uh, Shogun's retirement fight. I was going to say, like, we're definitely... Like right at the back end at this point. Definitely on the back end of his career. I also thought it was hilarious that they kept talking about Shogun's age and how long he had been around. Right. And he's only one year older than OSP. Yeah. And also, he's not even the oldest. Clay Guida's like 44. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But Clay Guida was looking fair, good. Yeah, Clay Guida did look great. Um, But to be fair, I also understand like Shogun's 30 Shogun's 40 is a lot older than OSP's in terms of fight years, years right? Far, yeah, because he spent most of those years fighting, fighting, yeah. You know what I'm saying? They he's been a pro fighter for a very long time. And so. I just want to add to before we move on to the next one, it's nice that at least Shogun didn't get finished because you don't want yeah. to necessarily see folks at that age still getting like. Especially Knocked coming out. off two TKOs back to right. back. Right. Like, you don't need another, you don't need more trauma, bro. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So, the next fight we had was Dun-dun. honestly the fight I was the most excited for on the card, mm-hmm. uh, personally. And that is Michael Chandler versus, versus not versus, versus Tony Ferguson. Um, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> KO of the month. <laughs> uh, got performance uh, of the night, too. The performance of the night got, bonus. Yeah, got that performance of the night bonus. Uh, man, spoilers ahead. Spoiler alert. Tony Ferguson got put on his face. Uh, first KO loss of his career. Had our boy first, looking like Popeye the Sailor, man. Man. 
I mean, the memes have already started. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, you got Michael Chandler. No, I'm gonna just tell y'all right now, you ain't gotta have no guesswork. I'm a huge fan of Michael Chandler. <laughs> I was very happy when he came to the UFC. I was geeked when he came over from Bellator. I've been a fan of Michael Chandler. I'm, realistically, since he was in Strike Force. Mm. Um, and when he was in the earlier versions of Bellator up until it became, you know, what it became. Mm-hmm. He kind of was like the Shogun rule of, of Bellator, damn mm-hmm. near. You know what I'm saying? Like. Mm-hmm. His first Bellator was like Bellator 31. Mm. His last one was Bellator 243. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Bro had been around. Um, And he got a chance to fight Tony Ferguson, a guy he had been pretty much calling to fight since he got to the UFC. Yeah. Uh, One of the names, at least, he had been calling for at 55. Tony Ferguson, uh, realistically, I believe, is done now, at least with the UFC. In between the butting of heads that he's had very publicly and, and some with management privately. yeah yeah with Dana White and some of the things he was even saying this weekend at the press conference and this yeah. also being his fourth very finish. decisive loss in yeah. a row right now I shouldn't say his fourth finish right uh at the last four this was the second finish the second finish of his last four yeah. losses yeah uh this is now loss number four after being TKO by Justin Gaethje in 2020 one-sided, a very one-sided decision from Charles Oliveira, Oliveira in 2020 and, and another one-sided decision from Benil Dariush in yep. 2021. Correct. And then here we had Michael Chandler KO him in the second round with a front kick. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. So if you know Michael Chandler, you know Tony Ferguson, these are action the Scrappers. Players. Yeah, these are scrappers. The, neither of these guys came to shake your hand, get to know you. Well, maybe maybe uh, maybe Michael Chandler shake your hand. He's but. actually kind of, and this is why I'll say like he's kind of growing on me because I, mm-hmm. I saw like quite a few segments of his post fight interview. Uh, but he's a very humble and respectable fighter, in and out of the cage. Like, yes, there was the stuff at the press conference, but at least from Michael Chandler's end, you didn't really see any ill will in that mm-hmm. sense. And the way he talked about Tony Ferguson, he was even saying, he's like, man, you can't talk about the lightweight division without talking about Tony Ferguson. So he respects him through and through and mm-hmm. shows respect to, like, the champ and everything. It's just... Pre and post. Yeah. Pre-fight like, and post-fight. I'm just the like, respect all right, I, I can't be mad at a character like that. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, he threw that front kick up there and he Listen. put Tony Ferguson's jaw on his forehead and... It was a nu- it was an ugly knockout, wait, man. Wait, that's a visual right there. Damn near. Uh, but we okay. That that's how it ended, like literally right at the beginning of round two. But mm-hmm. we gotta acknowledge, like, okay, round two aside. I feel like on a lot of uh, the fights we cover, there's a big finish. We gotta be like, all right, that round aside. But like, right? Like Ferguson was looking good, man. He dropped Chandler. Like we get, we get, yeah, he, he dropped, dropped Chandler. Chandler. No, don't get me wrong. Round. You know what he, I mean? Chandler came ready to fight. If you know you fighting Michael Chandler, you know one thing. He's he's coming for you. Right. He's coming forward. That dude is aggressive. Right. He's Wrestler. super aggressive. Wrestling yeah, background. That'll do wrestling it. Wrestling background. He's full-fledged wrestler and pulled up. Throwing heat. He always throws heavy shots early. He's letting his hands go. You know, uh, Michael Chandler is known as a guy who is looking for the finish. Every right. round, every part of the fight, you know, this isn't really a guy that you see 
do a lot of, he's to me very reminiscent of like a Justin Gaethje in that way, right. in a sense of that he's not really looking for cover. He's looking to throw. Right. And um, yeah, him just, his willingness to get in the mix was evident by his black eye and by him being dropped. Uh, right. In the first round, but it also was evident in in the amount of pressure he was putting on Tony and was keeping Tony back, and he was landing some shots on Tony too. I mean, we yeah. we have to acknowledge that double leg that he did while he was hurt, and you have to understand, like technically speaking, when that you double mean leg that was spear? thrown, that the double leg tackle? was thrown, his head was on the wrong side of the body, and he mm. still made it work because, like you said, it turned into a spear, uh, basically yeah, a spear I mean, tackle. Shout out Aisha twenty one. But Man, yeah. he was hurt and he blasted Tony to get him on the ground. And I mean, blast that, him. And when I saw that, I was like, all right, that's cool. But Tony Ferguson is also somewhat of an anomaly in terms of how he fights off his back. This is a man who's gotten like a KO, TKO finish from throwing elbows on his back. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so I was like, all right, cool, Michael Chandler. And of course, true to form, Michael Chandler's getting cut up immediately by those elbows. But it was a little bit different in that. Chandler was honestly getting the hang of Tony Ferguson's guard. And Tony Ferguson's good at jujitsu. Like, he trains under Eddie Bravo. He's hey, a 10th planet dude. To, to say, there's no real way to quantify how good at jujitsu Tony is Ferguson is. He is good at real. jujitsu, which is why, like, a lot of people were hoping for that Habib uh, Ferguson fight, too, because, like, oh, this might be some good ass grappling. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, fortunately, that never materialized. But uh, yeah, like, I was like, Chandler was able to, like, it was basically like, uh, watching ground and pound being developed again. Like, I don't I don't know how else, how else to say it, but it's like within Tony Ferguson's guard, Chandler was finding those openings for the elbow drops, for the punches. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's like, for that round, shit, it, honestly, it might have been, if it weren't for the finish in round two, I don't know how, how easy it would have been to score that round. Because uh, you got a drop and you got a big takedown. It could have gone either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could have. Yeah. And it went one way to make it round. <laughs> 17 yeah. seconds in. Uh-huh. Throws a front kick as he has, again, and I, I think this is the most important thing. He had Tony backing up. Right. I think that that pressure from the first round, the thing that you got to love about a guy like a Michael Chandler, right, is mm-hmm. he doesn't let things like getting dropped, getting a black eye, getting hit, those things don't seem to deter him from being aggressive. His mm-hmm. aggressiveness never really gets turned down because of those things. Mm-hmm. And that aggressiveness is what led to that finish. Mm-hmm. The fact that he continued to approach him with no fear, you know, and having Tony just in the process of backing away from punches, he just throws a front kick right <laughs> up the middle. And just right, right to the chin, and Tony went head first into the canvas, and that was the end of the fight. Right. Uh, um, I wrote, "Whoa!" Front kick to the face, four backflips. Goddamn. <laughs> yeah, man, bro did four backflips as a celebration. No yeah. hands, by the way. Yeah, no, he's like, it's like standing back tucks off of strength. I don't even think he tucked. He's just strong. Like, yeah, no, he didn't tuck, bro. He just. Like, I don't know through. if our listeners have ever done like an actual standing backflip, but that's you got to have some core strength. Like, like that's not. This man is just strong. Like, it's like how Superman. Like, I have a theory that Superman, his fight isn't necessarily a power so much as he's just got core strength to where he says no to gravity. This yeah. is Michael Chandler I'm doing backflips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, but that was crazy. Going into our. Going into the next fight, sorry. Um, oh, you know what you did. I get it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I we get had, 
a strawweight champion, Rose Namajunas, going up against the inaugural strawweight champion, Carla Esparza. Who... I remember when Carla lost the belt, too. That was rough. Ooh, oh she got boy. pieced up by Ioana oh Jacek. Pieced. Oh that was pieced one of the craziest. up. <laughs> like... For anyone, if you haven't seen that fight, and this is still all respect to both fighters, but just in, in the sense of seeing a performance, it's reminiscent, not even reminiscent. This was the, this is like the precursor for how Amanda and uh, what's her name? And Rhonda went, except it went longer before yeah. the referee got like, in there. This was like when, um, this was honestly the start of Joanna's like tear. No, yeah, uh, that was, that was, like, she was, was the beginning like, of Johanna Stark. Because I think this was when people were also comparing Johanna, like she might've been the best striker, period. Not just for like men, women, but this was before like Shevchenko. 2015. Came but yeah, like this was like when people are saying like, Joanna might just be the best striker, period. Uh, mm -hmm. and like when I say she pieced her up, like literally, literally, that's what happened. And um, it also like I don't even think that was. I think Jessica Penne got the worst of Joanna's hands. Um, but that's neither here nor there. My bad. Sorry, I went on a tangent because mm -hmm. I was a. I, I still am a Joanna fan. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, uh, so am I. <laughs> yeah. Uh, please go on, Matt. My bad. My bad. No, no, no. You are all good. All of that. All of it is relevant to to the story. Um. Ultimately, what happens is. Um, you got Rose Namahunas against Carla Esparza, which to me, just the story of it, I thought was pretty cool because they fought for the inaugural strawweight title. And it was both of their UFC debuts. Yep. And it was their debuts. You're right. And Carla Esparza was the inaugural strawweight champion. And she has been trying to get back to that title since 2015. Right. Um, and what she did, the last thing she was able to do was she was able to stack five wins in a row and cap that off with a TKO um, to get a chance to get another title shot. And it was against, wouldn't you know it, the girl she beat for the belt the first time, Rose Namahunas. Mm. Rose Namahunas, uh, champ currently, picked up the belt, lost the belt, picked it back up. Um, and is, you know, was able to hold off Weili uh, Zhang to keep twice. it. Twice, yeah. Twice, yeah. She beat Weili Zhang to get the belt, and then she kept her off for that second one. And um, this was her second title defense. And I'm just going to call a spade a spade And what was one of the most boring fights I've ever semi-watched in my life. And I only say semi because I fell asleep. Um, it was boring, and it was confusing. Yeah. What we had here was... You had Rose, Rose really just played defense, like virtually the entire fight. And, and it, the defense, hold on, and the defense wasn't perfect because she was taken down on multiple occasions. Right. But she played pure defense, it felt like, almost the whole fight. And it seemed like, which, man, you could have polled anybody. Nobody would have thought Carla Esparza would have been the aggressor. Right. Um, go ahead, TJ. You can jump in with your thoughts. I was just going to be like, it's like she was playing defense. I'm like, okay, cool. You've shown round after round that Carla can't do anything to you. So are we going to capitalize on this? Which I believe was a question on everyone's mind who was watching this fight. And we had a few moments here, there, but like, 
I think just to break it down by numbers, right? Like, uh, I think did what was like the max amount of significant strikes thrown by either of them was like 23, 22, 23 or something like that in a five rounder, right? Like they didn't even break past the triple digits, let alone 30. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was just, it was frustrating. And I think what compounded it too, is like when you would listen to the corners for one uh, in the Carla Sparza's corner, she didn't even know, what round it was when it was like going into round four. She was like, wait, wait, what? Or no, she didn't know what round it was going into round five. She's like, what round is it? It's like, it's the final one, you know? Uh, you know that two, last one. Yeah, yeah, the one that counts. All right, well, all count. But, uh, well, in this case, I would say maybe round five had a little bit more weight to it because there was really no action. But really what confused me the most is like, what Rose Nama Eunice's corner was telling her. They were like saying, keep doing what you're doing. She can't do anything to you. Just stay with the plan. Don't do not do anything crazy. Like, be disciplined. I'm like, really? The plan was to play defense the whole time and to not throw, like... It, it made was you weird wonder, to like, even see Rose fight like that. How do they didn't think, even really engage. How she do they was, think fights work? Like, how do they think you're supposed to win fights? Like, I don't... Yeah, I don't she know. was, was going weird. primarily defense. And I mean, look, there are a lot of very successful and good defensive fighters. I mean, look, you want to think of a guy that's defense first, that wins a lot of fights... Dominic. Look no further than Dominic Cruz, Dominic but Cruz, yeah. it's not only defense. He's you gotta got throw something. Offense, back. yeah. Got offense. You gotta be aggressive. She at no point really was the aggressor. Um, and and there were moments where you're like, "All right, come on, okay, you do capitalize on," it. and it's just yeah. it didn't materialize ever. Maybe it was just that it was like frustrating as much as it was boring. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. I, I would accept frustrating. I would accept boring. I'd accept either one of them. Um, I would also accept not continuing to talk about this fight. Yeah, that's fair. We can go um, to the next one. <laughs> we had Rose Namahu. Carla, Carla Esparza was able to come away with the victory, and she is now the two-time strawweight uh, champion for the women. So, you could hear her frustration like in the Octagon interview. Uh, yeah, she was I think like, they were both frustrated. Ultimately, I think everybody was frustrated. The fighters were frustrated. The fan, oh my god, them fans of Phoenix were definitely damn frustrated. near every round. I remember but, hearing one dude go like "boo" and then start off another turn of boos. <laughs> like, yeah, the, but I tell you one thing though: those Phoenix fans, them fans of Phoenix, they came to see blood. They were not there for anything else. There were well, moments in that Randy Brown and Chaos Williams they booed fight too. Yeah. where they booed. And it was like, Got they that. literally locked up for two seconds. Right. They didn't even have like an actual grappling machine. They was like, oh like, my Boo. God. It's like, dude, yeah. they, only, they just grab each other arm. <laughs> like, Man. But I mean, in their defense, the card that was promised, like anybody looking at the card would be like, oh, there's going to be some blood. There's going to be like, somebody's going to die. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Let's get to the next one. Because this one, honestly, this one and then Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson redeemed the, the card. High key, not low For key. For as long High as it key. lasted. Yeah. Um, our main event, we had our, I guess you could say champion going into it, but not champion going Throwing into it. Charles Oliveira. It. <laughs> we'll go with Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. Um, for the light, uh, I was about to say light heavyweight, for the lightweight UFC title was our main event. Right. Why don't you tell us how it went, TJ? Uh, listen, uh, what was it? What was our boy, Doug who? 
the one who fought against Terrence T Rex McKinney. Uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Talk yeah. about him all the time, Doug. Drew Dober. Oh my God, I said Doug. I'm so sorry, Drew Dober, if you listen. You all good. Uh, but Drew, it it was like a roller coaster in that first round. Um, swinging and banging from the start. They they mm. they both knew what they were there for, and they both knew what this card was. Gaethje drops Oliveira twice with a left hook. The first time Oliveira drops onto his back, ain't nothing to it. Second time, it was weird. And it was delayed because Oliveira was mid front teep and then just drops onto his back, which was a it little alarming. It was like the power went out of that other leg. Yeah, dude. It was it was weird. Uh, and I put like, this is what we wanted from the Comey. Oliveira gets bloodied early, but it ain't the first time we've seen him like that, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We see a jump to guard attempt from Oliveira for, oh my God. We, get, we just got to talk about Oliveira's jujitsu, man. Um, at some point li- leading up to the end. But listen, we see a jump to guard uh, attempt from Oliveira to get a guillotine. Oliveira's face is just a straight up curtain of blood on the left side. Gaethje swings himself so hard. Like these dudes knew what time it was. Gaethje swung himself so hard, he threw himself off balance off a punch. Bro, right? this but man then, threw a punch so hard, he hit the floor. <laughs> but then, but then right after that, what happens? Oliveira drops him with the right. Oliveira said, respect my hands. And then Oliveira, mm-hmm. true to his jujitsu roots, right? Did I just say jujitsu? Oh my jiu-jitsu god! Jujitsu roots. No, you said jujitsu. Instead, jiu-jitsu. Of, you instead right. of him going for the finish with the ground and pound, immediately goes to the back. This man is like a one-track mind. He's just like, if I can get to your back, I'm gonna squeeze the shit out of you, bro. Hold on, no, no, no. You, you forgetting? You let's talk about them transitions. Yeah, that's this why man I, was, got I didn't on forget, top bro. Of Remember, dude. I said oh, I, I thought said, you just going right to the back. We gotta talk about his jujitsu, bro. Like, bad, brother. <laughs> like, I was excited. Getting a little passionate. But no, no, go ahead. Take over. Take over. I, was, take over, I, take too over. Was I need passionate. a breather. My bad. <laughs> I need a breather. Go ahead. Bro. So first of all, just to get a, get back on that striking, they need to definitely put that respect on my man's hands at this point because right. he his counter strikes put guys on their ass seemingly a lot. Yeah, like, I think it's not Charles chance. Oliveira must be a lot stronger than people think he is. Well, he's because also, he got he got Michael Chandler like that too with that short hook. But he's also coming out of that Do Bronx Academy where apparently they do the shooter box as well, right? Like so, listen. Yeah, he's coming from he's coming from like the baby shooter box, like the birth, yeah, the, yeah. the child of the original shooter box, yeah. which they definitely could not allow to exist no more. So I'm glad, <laughs> right? But, um. Yeah, man, he he hits Justin Gaethje with a straight right hand that mm-hmm. sat Justin Gaethje down like a Gerber baby, and then he just like it, it wasn't no no like a oh maybe like he got a little hurt no like Justin Gaethje was nah, hurt he hit that jaw and Justin hit the floor yeah and um, Justin did the only thing that that no one ever seems to do when they fight Charles Oliveira at least on his end when he was winning when he knocked Charles Oliveira down he walked right away from him. Right, <laughs> that, which I is like that's what you always you do. can't blame him. That's a shark. No, no. If I'm you cool. heard a jujitsu guy, make him make him stand up. Right. There's no reason to go to the ground. I mean, but, it doesn't mean you're safe standing up, but your chances no, are a lot better. But you know, you you force a man that's on wobbly legs to get up on those wobbly legs. He's gonna have a hard time. Right. Um. So yeah, we got a chance to see. You know, shit, man. We saw Charles Oliveira use that jujitsu that he's known for. He dove on, he dove on this man. But 
look like he was had the mount. Then it looked like the arm bar. Because like arm. Justin wriggled out of the back control, right? And then like you're saying, yeah. mount, arm bar, triangle to somehow getting to his back again. <laughs> like, the split second that Justin Gaethje put his hands on the floor to stand up yeah. after Charles Oliveira had slipped off of him, he damn near he damn near windmilled himself around and it was, was not only on Justin Gaethje's ridiculous. back. On his back, in, an, in like the snap of a finger, he was on his back, both hooks in, and yeah. had the arm around the neck. And it was and just like, all right, well, that, matter of time. He was able to get the rear naked choke in, the young RNC, and in even crazier, but still true Justin Gaethje fashion, he taps out and then passes, passes out. out. Yeah, such a warrior. Like such this a warrior. This dude held on as long as he could, and with his last little ounce, he tapped, and when he let him go, it was already too late. He was asleep. Yeah. Um, But, so, what happens is, Charles Oliveira is now not the lightweight champion. Number one contender. But he's the number one contender, most likely will fight Islam. Right. Um, He's the number one contender now for his own belt, because there was some debacle with the the scale. The cut and the scale, Um, yeah. But let me tell y'all, man, you know, if you can, go out your way to find this one round fight, because it's it's everything you want out of a a MMA fight, damn near. Roller coaster. At once. Roller coaster. Um, It's a roller coaster of a competition. If you know where to look, you'll find a clip. Uh, We're not going to say anything here, because we're above board at the Now Mind You podcast. (laughs) <laughs> but with that being said, <laughs> with that being said, hey, don't don't qualify it, bro. With that, <laughs> with that being said, uh, this brings us to a close of episode 18 combat. Uh, Matt, you want to take us out of here? I'm sorry? You want to take us out of here, bro? Yeah, man. You guys can give us a follow at now, mind you, pretty much on all, all social media. Follow our Discord. You know what I'm saying? If you need to get on that Discord, it's on our flow page now. Follow us mm-hmm. on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Reddit. Follow us on... No, don't follow us on the street. Uh, follow us wherever Sir. you can follow us. You <laughs> right. <me>? right. <laughs> um, you can follow me at Matt Hambrick, M-A-T-T-H-A-M-B-R-I-C. TJ, where can they follow you? At Tus4 underscore skate. That's T-U-S-S number four underscore S-K-A-T-E. That's on the right. Ground. Next week, we will be covering UFC Fight Night. Oh, boy. I'm going to try to pronounce these names. Jan Blahovich and Alexander Rakich. That's way better than my take, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll be covering that. And then on the boxing side, I will be covering the rematch between Jamel Charlo and Brian Castano. Nice. Nice. With that said, thank you guys for checking out the Combat Sports episode. Again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. If your mom likes combat sports, shout out to her. If your mom likes manga, shout out out to her. her. If she don't like those things, shout out to her. Still, she raised you, right? Hey, shout out. Right, shout out to her. Uh, The one mama we not shouting out is Ayoyama's mama. Uh, He a bitch, and he came from bitch-made parents. Yeah, I took it there. That's wow. right. They, this don't even got shit to do with manga, but I'm still on that. Wow. Um, yeah, man. But we respect all moms except that one. Thank you guys for checking us out. <laughs> and we'll holler at y'all next week. And we will still be talking about the fist of cuffs and the grappling of cuffs and the kicks of cuffs and whatever other cuffs. Peace out. Are you good, TJ? <laughs> Peace out. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>
Peace, y'all.